Hello and welcome to the Four Feathers Podcast. This is episode 23. I'm Tony Marchese. I'm joined today by Ron Luce. And it's time to crack them and get updated on your Chicago Blackhawks. How's it going, Ron? Ah, it's going good, sir. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's uh, Season's winding down. Um, we don't have Johnny Nani here today. A um, little bit of a different look. It's uh, it's just you and I. Yeah, just you and I. Definitely a little bit of a different look. Kind of the uh, the OG crew of the podcast discussions back in the old uh, ancient days that we won't talk too heavily about. But um, almost, little, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is this is this is kind of how it all started. But um, no, it's it's good to be back on. I feel like I haven't talked to you guys in a couple of weeks uh, about some pucks. So. I'm oh, you, to, you were missing last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm an old man, and my job sometimes doesn't allow me to talk Blackhawks with you guys, which is very disappointing. That is disappointing, Ron. But uh, you know the the OG crew, I think would uh, I'd have to I'd have to put Nani back in there too, because you know some of the origins to this even predate uh, what we were doing uh, back a few months ago uh, when when Johnny Nani came on uh, Shy Sox Weekly. And uh, there, there was a little hint towards the future there in that episode too. But uh, I do, I do agree with you. A little OG look here from from you and I, um, what, with what started over at Wagrant Enterprises. We'll we'll drop the name um, and and Blackhawks Nation there. But uh, Ron, it's uh, un- unfortunately we don't get to talk about winning hockey tonight. Looking back at the last week of Blackhawks games. Wednesday, 4-3 win against Anaheim. I think that was expected. And then you roll into the back-to-back on the weekend. You lose 6-3 to the LA Kings. Yeah, I, th- I think that was <laughs> very surprising. Yeah, and not then, good, Bob. Uh, and then uh, Sunday, 5-2 loss to San Jose. I don't think that one was as surprising, but, uh, Ron, you want to run through uh, some of your observations over the last week, and we could talk about the, uh, the state of this team while we uh, – pound through this first beer <laughs> yeah <laughs> might need no it. doubt yeah no doubt i mean I, the wednesday game was a little scary i mean if we're being entirely honest i mean that game certainly almost went to overtime it probably should have but um one positive was certainly that that break out there at the end of the game for the the game winning goal from caner uh great first pass from jonathan taves down in the defensive zone uh, great reception by Saad. Saad looked like his his old self again on the play. Made a nice little you know dangle. Uh, gets the puck over to a wide open Patrick Kane, and you know Kaner's not going to miss when he's wide open in the slot like that. So um, good seeing them at least get that win. I mean the Ducks are really struggling this year. A lot of injuries, a lot of young guys, um, you know, and very key injuries too. Guys like Getzlaff and Gibson being out of that lineup um, certainly makes them a pun fully intended wounded duck um i like that thank you that being said they should have also beat the kings because the kings are just as bad if not worse than the ducks are oh they're definitely worse and that that yeah yeah. that was just that was just bad um a little bit more take on here on wednesday um i think something that was really significant that happened during this game and we'll touch on it a little bit more in the injury report was uh drake kajula getting just absolutely demolished by rakel and 
the Hawks haven't been, I mean, if, if you're talking about wounded ducks, um, the Hawks are a wounded warrior um, after that one because the lines just haven't been the same. And, and we'll, we'll dig into uh, what those lines have looked like since he's gone down. But um, they managed to pull that one out. Like you said, Brandon Side was really impressive during that game. Really liked what I saw from him. And you thought that um, they were going to carry this momentum into Saturday. And the other thing that was special about that game was Corey Crawford came back. And Corey Crawford did okay in, in game one back. He didn't look all too rusty. I mean, there were a few moments where you would have liked to have seen him not give up goals. Um, I think it got a little close for comfort, like you said, but uh, the Hawks pulled it out the way that the Hawks have pulled out a lot of their games, and that's by the graces of Patrick Kane. Yeah, 100%. And uh, to just quickly touch on the Corey Crawford point, he did actually look very, very good. I mean, he looked comfortable. He didn't look rattled. Um, excuse me for a second. Good. A little crack and burp there for you. Oh, um, but, you know, I, he overall looked really good. I think the only play I – quote-unquote regretted for him from that game was uh, when he tried to play that puck behind the net and led to that turnover that ended up in the back of the net. I think other than that, though, he looked he looked confident. I mean, he, he I'm sure he was super excited to be back. I mean, anytime you're a competitor like that, you haven't played in, you know, a couple months. It, it really, really gets you chomping at the bit then to, to get back in between the pipes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think we all thought they were going to carry that mo- at least some momentum over. You know, they had a couple days off before the L.A. game. Um, I don't know if it was because it was an afternoon game. There or, we go talking about that afternoon game. I think I brought yeah. that up. I, I think I brought yeah. that up I think when we were when we were last on. Is, is Do the Hawks really get up for these afternoon games? You get the time change in California. It's really early there for them, even though it was, I think it was like a 2 o'clock start for us. Uh, central time but uh, they just didn't look like they were in that game whatsoever no especially early on I feel like they really picked it up a little bit kind of toward the tail end of that first period starting with that first Perlini goal because uh, right after that goal they that kind of that 45 second window before the end of the period they had a couple of really nice shifts um, but yeah they did not look like they got up for that game and it really showed I mean what three goals in the first seven eight nine minutes of the game i mean they and two of them were in the first five minutes so i mean they were already down three nothing before they even got any kind of momentum going and three goal gap that ends up being the difference in that game um and you don't count the empty netter and there's the difference it's a three hockey instead of a hockey so uh them them not getting up and getting ready for that game i think is is really what lost the game for them because if you look at end of the first period all of the second period and at least the beginning of the third before they kind of started getting almost kind of negated a little bit by the kings who just really just kind of held their ground and and, and tried to put it away they didn't play all that terrible i mean they had some energy they had some momentum but they just could not get goals at the opportune times and that that late that really 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 slow start definitely hurt them without a doubt well, and, and this is something that, that I preached on the last episode with uh, with Johnny, and I preached it all year. The Hawks have needed to beat the teams that they need to beat, and that's teams that are worse than the Hawks. And if the Hawks wanted to you know, continue that, that hot stretch that they were on, this was a good opportunity. I mean, you could have seen four out of the six points really easily in the pocket of the Hawks, and I think that it would have been a little bit different than, than what we're looking at here now. But um, – 
you can't lose to the the last place team in the league and realistically expect um, any sort of positivity around what's going on here. And you carry that right into a game against San Jose. And, I mean, San Jose is a juggernaut. I mean, you just look at the goal differentials, uh, especially in the West right now. Um, it, it's very telling. The the all, all the top teams have a positive goal differential outside of Colorado. And, you know, outside of, what is it, the, uh, yeah, outside of Calgary, San Jose second in that right now with plus 32. Yep. And, there's there's no way you're going to beat an offense like that with the Hawks defense unless you're scoring goals. And the Hawks while they did get on the board in this game, two goals against San Jose is not going to get the job done. That that's a high-powered offense. They're going to score more than two. And you had Cam Ward starting in that game. I'm a little confused, Ron, and I don't know if you are, as to why they went Wednesday Saturday with Crawford instead of Wednesday, Sunday, and start Cam Ward in the middle of that. Um, I just felt like it would have been a good way to break it up, even though there were a few rest days in there for Crawford. But I just felt that Cam Ward probably would have been the start on Saturday in the afternoon game against a weaker team, unless Colleton views Cam Ward as his pseudo number one guy here. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because I think the the Corey Crawford on on Wednesday made a lot of sense. I think if nothing else, because of his history against the Ducks, he's been very successful over his career against the Ducks. And there's still some guys on that team that he's played against fairly significantly over his career. So I think that made some sense, and I I don't think that was a bad move at all. Um, But yeah, to your point, I, I think I was kind of actually expecting Cam Ward on Saturday, to be completely honest. Um, I just didn't think they were going to throw Crow back in there for two straight games coming right off of injury, really. I mean, you know, and I think you kind of saw it maybe just from a, a mental standpoint. I think it was just as hard for him, though, to get into the game early as it was for everybody else because, you know, they were all kind of off. And maybe that would have been good to get a guy like Cam Ward in there and and break it up a little bit for Crow and, and break it up for the team. And then, you know, maybe they get rejuvenated and kind of re-energized getting him back in that then for the next night when you're playing, as you mentioned already, a clearly better San Jose Sharks team uh, than the basement-dwelling LA Kings right now. Well, and my, my kind of thinking behind this is is the only thing that I can really get behind is the fact that they thought that they were not going to have a game against San Jose and that they had more faith in Crawford to get that win on Saturday. I don't know. I don't I don't really understand. You know, I guess it's a coin flip at that point in time when you um, kind of look at both of these goalies right now. Neither of them are shut down, right? You can't really expect Crawford to be a shutdown goalie coming off that injury, uh, getting back in the swing of things. But um, I, I just – I really expected him on Sunday versus San Jose – tougher matchup I felt like Crow like you said coming back is kind of amped up he gets that win um I figured that uh that Crawford would have given them a better chance to win on Sunday and let's be honest Ron I mean you weren't on last week but uh the the Hawks really started to struggle especially after they gave up those games to uh what was it Dallas and Colorado and I mean the, the downhill slide has started there so they were kind of a like like we'll go back to this a, a wounded animal wounded warrior um, they needed these games. They needed to come out with at least four points. You only get two, and that's that's just not going to get the job done. 
especially when we've we've been talking about those playoffs. Yeah, agreed. And and uh, the the playoffs, but I mean, to your point, I mean, they really did start struggling and going downhill. The those Dallas and Colorado games were very telling, I think, of this team, because if they come out and they they take both of those games in convincing fashion against two teams that are good teams. I, I still see Colorado as a good team, although they've struggled a little bit later in the year. And obviously Dallas is still sitting pretty pretty comfortably in a playoff spot right now. So, um, you know, they come out and they take those two games. I think this is a totally different story we're telling here, you know, about a week plus later. Um, now, to your point, we're kind of like, oh, well, what is this team's, are they really a playoff team? Because you, you shit the bet against, two central division rivals who you needed to take two, you know, all four points from. And then, you know, you shit the bet against a really bad LA Kings team. You barely pull out a win over a, a, a wounded Anaheim team. And then you go into the shark tank and I mean, yeah, I don't think anybody expected them to really beat the sharks, but it was close after two periods they really lost that game in the third period, three straight goals from the sharks is what ultimately the difference was. So, yeah, I don't. I don't know if they thought you know they they had a better chance with Crow though to to steal those points in LA. I'm not entirely sure. It, maybe you know, and it could have just been you know Colleton. I mean, Crow is a true number one goalie, and true number ones want to be in the net more times than not. And if he is your true number one, they played it. I think, in the, in my opinion, the right way, which is you play him in straight games, and then if it is a back to back, you you give the the goalie number two the next game. I do agree, though, in terms of a matchup perspective. I think they, they could have played that better with Crow uh, coming in against San Jose for, and, and giving Ward the quote-unquote easier start against L.A. But, um, yeah, it's 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 not good when, you know, as you guys, as I think we've all mentioned at some point on here, if, if you're not winning the games against the teams you should beat, there's an issue. So um, certainly concerning, uh, I think, for uh, the immediate future. No, and and one of the things that I kind of hinted at a little bit earlier was we needed to take a look at at what that Kajula injury did to the to the Blackhawks. Carlton's had to go to the blender a little bit, and the Hawks have not looked the same since, especially since Kajula's gone down. I don't like what I see without him in the lineup. Um, let's look at the last uh, game's lines. You, uh, you you were kind enough to go get these prepped for me. Uh, Chris Kunitz, Jonathan Taves, and Patrick Kane on the top line. Uh, Debrinket, Strom, Perlini, Saad, Anisimov, Cahoon, Hayden, Kruger, Sakura. Um, you saw a little bit of juggling even in the game before that. Uh, Brandon Saad was up a little bit. He was playing a f- quite a few minutes up with the top line guys. Um, I do like that. However, it almost felt reminiscent of Quenville's nuclear option when he used to go Hosa, Kane, Taves. And what that always used to do was draw out the opposing team's best defenseman almost consistently against that top line. And I know Quinville used it very sparingly. We're talking playoffs and um, you know, must must need situations where they absolutely need to go get a goal. But when you're relying on stuff like that throughout the game i mean taves kane kunitz is not going to get the job done we saw that in two and basically uh on sunday um 
it just it doesn't lend well to their game. You can't just throw in your worst offensive guy with Kane and Taves and expect that whole thing to click, especially with what Drake Kajula was doing up there in the top line. He was a guy that other teams needed to be afraid of. You know, that guy had thrown the body around consistently in his time on that top line. Um, I wouldn't say he was a Marion Hossa presence because that would diminish the value that Marion Hossa had up there over the past, you know, almost decade. But um, it, it just shows when you have a guy up there that can protect a guy like Jonathan Taves or Patrick Kane, um, it just creates space for them. And when you had Chris Kunis out there, you just weren't creating any space. Uh, it, it just didn't look the same. It it caused Colleton to have to go to bringing up Brandon Saad up there consistently over the course of those two games. I forget who was playing in there originally on Saturday. But, you know, that second line with DeBrinket and Strom, you can almost insert anybody else there. Those guys have great chemistry. Kane and Taves, it's a little bit different to me, Ron. For some reason, it just seems like they need that bigger piece in there that's going to create space and also somewhat be a little bit of a threat with the body um, to opposing players because you, you get those top-line guys out there. A guy like Drake Kajula can, can go and mash a little bit. And when I look at these lines right here, outside of John Hayden, who's down buried on the fourth line, what else do they have? I would have been an advocate of maybe throwing John Hayden up there on the on the first line. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think that's a terrible idea. I, I think, you know, they've given Hayden kind of looks up there on the top line left wing over his time in Chicago. Uh, kind of just as like an audition of saying like, hey, what can you do for us? You know, what can you bring kind of with that physicality? Um, yeah, I wanted to just quickly mention too on your point about, you know, that lo- when he used to load up with Haas, Taves, Kane, uh, on rare occasions when it was needed, uh, at least, you know, something that was big for them then was, you know, they still had the depth that they could have quality right. matchups then coming out if they were luring out the top D against that line. Even um, then you were probably double shifting Patrick Kane, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I haven't they, seen a lot of Kane double shifts. Yeah, I think I think they're trying to, I don't, I don't think they want to burn Kane around too much because he was double shifting a ton uh, earlier in the season, you know, but I think that's something that this team was this team. I think the difference is, is because Brandon Saad has, has truly proven he can carry that third line, at least in terms of a pace of play. You know, as long as he's got somebody else down there that can kind of get to the net, uh, he's shown that he can help generate the offense from down low. And obviously that, like you mentioned, that Strom to pairing uh, on that second line is generating offense as, as it's as itself problem is is when you have to put sod up with Taves and Kane right now you go from really a two and a half to three line team to really just a two line team and I think that's where then they're they're seeing those difficulties um with matchups because the bottom six is not nearly as strong as it used to be that being said you know I really like Drake Kajula I, I really like what he's become and what he's he's bringing and I think he he's the perfect player a, he's had practice playing with superstars because he did play with Connor McDavid quite a bit when he yes. was up at Edmonton. And he he does. I think you, you nailed it well. He brings a different type of game to that top line. He still has skill. I think he's shown that well. You know, he can play the he's skill game. He's added a couple goals. Yeah, he can play the skill game. But the difference is, is, you know, when Taves and Kane need the space and they need to go out there and go get things done, We've talked about it before. When have, when has Taves' line struggled most? 
when Sod and Taves have to be the puck retrieval guys. Yep. Or in this case, when Taves and and, and Kane have to be the puck retrieval guys. Kajula was the guy to go into the corner, to go to the front of the net. He was kind of that, you know, like you said, that kind of throw the body round, kind of junkyard dog mentality on that top line. And that's really what was helping open up Taves and Kane. And, you know, his his game fit up there. And, and I think that was a value, a great value trade for really what Bowman pulled off because he's meshing really well with this team. They do miss him. And I, I, I put it in here, you know, just three little words. They miss him. And they really do. And if nothing else, I think just from a chemistry standpoint, because now you break up a line below to fill that top line need. You know, now Sod's getting broken away from where he's been successful. And you're breaking away the Cahoon, Strom, Debrinket line because you're trying Cahoon up there or you're trying to drop Cahoon in hopes he generates the third line a little more. You know, and, and Perlini's kind of getting tossed around, and you're not totally sure where he's going to mesh because he's been a bit of a healthy scratch here and there. And Kunitz playing on the top line shouldn't be happening anyway because he's actually been okay on the fourth line, and I'm okay with him on, excuse me, on the fourth line. Not the first line, the fourth line. So I think, it, you know, if nothing else, his, his chemistry with Taves and Kane is really, you know, throwing off these lines. But just because of having to break up some of these really – would have become good chemistry lines. I mean, you know, they, he having to break those up too is just as impactful as him not being in the lineup in general. It's kind of the residual effect of him not being in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, I'd venture to say that that Drake Kajula is your best value guy who's not on an ELC. I mean, outside I of, outside of like that. Taves and Kane. I mean, you know that they're getting they're getting big dollars. They got they got to play, but. If you look at what Drake Kajula brings to this team on a $1.5 million contract versus what Marcus Kruger or Artem Anisimov or even Brandon Saad at $6 million, you're paying Brandon Saad $6 million to really anchor a third line. I think you could do better value. Um, but Drake Kajula, what he does for, for Jonathan Taves especially, um, allows Johnny Taves to play that game. I think for a 1-5, I'm really happy he's here next year. And, you know... He'll probably command a little bit more than the one five when he becomes a free agent. I mean, the guy's twenty four right now, so he'll be entering free agency at probably twenty six. I'm not sure when his birthday is and 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 how that plays into it. He'll probably command a little bit more money, especially playing with Connor McDavid, Jonathan Tays, Patrick Kane on some of those lines. If he's a first line guy, he's going to command a little bit more. But um, for one five to be able to slot him in, in the top six, I mean, that's that's excellent value, absolutely excellent value. Yeah, 100%. And I think just one thing, and uh, well-renowned on this podcast, I am quite the Brandon Sod apologist. Um, Sodder's almost at 40 points, and he's been primarily playing in a bottom six role most of the season. So I think that's worth noting. I mean, he's 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 a good enough player where he can carry a bottom six line offensively, and I think that's worth noting. But I do completely get your point. I, I 100% agree. And I, st- I do still think that Drake Ajula is the best value for what he's doing at the price. Because, like you said, at 1-5, he's playing in your top six. And, sure, maybe is he not putting up, quote-unquote, top six offense. But he's doing what you need to get your big guns to put up that top six offense. You know, he's being that guy that complements them well. And sometimes complementary pieces are, you know, just as impactful, if not more impactful, than your scoring pieces and your big-time scoring, you know, guys like Kane and Tapes. I guess what I'm trying to get across here is that I've become a big, big Kajula guy. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I think we can both echo that. I've I've really I've really become a fan of his game now that we get to see him more. I mean, this is one right. of the guys that when they're out west, it's it's really hard to catch all the games. And you know, I knew a little bit about him. He had a couple flashes in Edmonton, but he really didn't know a ton about him. But I really do enjoy the game he brings to the, to the lineup. Uh, dare I say he reminds me a little bit of an Andrew Shaw esque player? You know what? You just stole the words right out of my mouth. Right? <laughs> I was gonna say he kind of reminds me of the same style of game. I don't know if he plays it as well as Andrew Shaw. I don't know if he'll be as much of a household name as Andrew Shaw. But let's not sleep on the guy. He's only twenty four. Um, you know, if this team were a playoff team and not just a you know get into the first round and get swept team. I feel like Drake Kajula's game would just play very, very well in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I could see him yes. being the type of guy that could become a fan favorite real quick with a real big hit in like a Western Conference final kind of game that that just brings the energy. Um, he's a hockey player. I mean, we could we could probably name this episode at this point like the Drake Kajula fan club, but you know, just seeing him out of the lineup, I've really, really come to appreciate what he's brought to the Hawks. And I think that a lot of the run that they went on was actually because of the fact that he allowed Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tave to play the style of hockey that they needed to because he solidified that top line. You see what it's like, you see what it looks like when he's not in there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's just something that I've noticed, something that I've uh, just really somewhat zoned in on over the course of of watching Blackhawk hockey um when he's in the lineup I I'm just I'm just a I'm glued to the TV when he's on the ice because uh not not so much that I'm glued to him that line is incredible I mean obviously mm-hmm. we we've gone up and down about how Patrick Kane is just one of the best hockey players of our lifetime but yeah. I think that he just has that energy and and when you bring up a guy like Andrew Shaw I mean he had the same type of um you know, just grit and the, and the same type of attitude. I mean, he'll drop the gloves. He'll he'll throw the body around. He's getting to the front of the net. He's going into the corners, getting those pucks. That's what you need. And I think that this team is severely, severely lacked someone who plays like that, um, especially over the last two years. Because I can't really yep. name anybody outside of uh, Hartman yep. who's done that kind of work for the Hawks. Um and yeah, I mean, I, I miss him. I hope he comes back um, next year and just has that same role and yeah. continues on his path because I think that that's something that uh, this team just doesn't have enough of. Yeah, great. And and before you know, I know you know we need to keep this moving, and we can't talk all night about our, our boy Drake Kajula, but um, you know, I Kajula honestly, especially in. Like- playoff series i think he could have that role of a dave boland in 2010 of just being that annoying pain in the ass yeah he's an agitator just is gonna yeah he's gonna get under guy's skin but he's not gonna get under guy's skin by being like andrew shaw who's gonna talk a lot of shit kind of get in your face maybe you know scrap with somebody he's just gonna get in, under your skin because he goes to the corners he's hard in the corners he goes to the front of the net and he's just kind of a pesky and with that missing tooth if i was yes, on the yes. team would annoy the living shit out of me 
because he'd be like, <laughs> and he'd be smiling at you, and in front of the net, he might tip one of your, you know, Jonathan Taves' shot in the net, and then just laugh at you without that tooth there, and you're like, I just want to fucking bury your face in the ice right now. And, I was you know, gonna say just, the same thing. He's got thing. that I, annoying little look. I to didn't him, you know, know. I didn't know if it would play here, Ron, but I, I was gonna say the the fucking missing tooth is almost like the <laughs> the, the 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 icing on top of the cake here, right? Yeah. He just looks like a fucking hockey player. He's I a mean, hockey just, guy. Just straight up, Drake Kajula is is a hockey player. If you saw Drake Kajula walking down the fucking street and he smiled at you with that missing tooth, you would know that that's not like that. You would just know that that's a hockey player. If you saw somebody like uh, fucking Camp walking down the street, you wouldn't know it was a hockey player. If you saw Dominic Cahoon walking down the street, you wouldn't know that it was a hockey player. But if you saw Drake Kajula walking down the street, you would know that that guy plays puck. And and I think that that's something that the Hawks have have severely missed. And and, and let's just keep it rolling here. Uh, can't say enough good things about what Kajul has done so far. Um, although one thing that I do want to bring up before we go there, in comparison to Andrew Shaw, is that Kajula takes way less stupid penalties. One hundred percent agree so, with yeah, that. That's that's Won't the other. Beat that to death, but agree. Yeah, we we can we can do a whole off season episode on uh, on Kajula at this point as well. Um, Moving on, uh, like we talked about a little bit earlier, Corey Crawford returned to action in Wednesday's game. Um, the star goaltender for the Blackhawks over the past uh, six, seven years here. Um, Wednesday night, uh, 29 out of 32 saves uh, per shot, and then 906. That was good for a 906 save percentage. He did get the win there. He played Saturday. He was 19 out of 25. That's not good. Uh, 760. He takes the loss in that one. Back on the up. season, on the season, Ron, 715 and two with a 3.39 goals against average and a 0.897 save percentage. I want to dig into this, Ron, because I talked about this a lot earlier in the er, in the season. This team just does not seem to play very well again uh, with Corey Crawford in net. What has happened to Corey Crawford? Have the concussions caught up with him? Is he the same goalie that he was? Is it time for Corey Crawford to hang him up? I think that's a lot of very good questions, and we'll address each and every one of those one by one. I, I think I think in fairness, this year the defense hasn't played well in front of anybody, and that's a real shame. Um, I think it really has shown that that is a true weakness of the team because – you have a great goaltender like Corey Crawford, who, yeah, even even though he's put some years and miles on that body, is still a very good goaltender in the NHL. Uh, should not have a seven fifteen and two record if you have a competent defense in front of him. Uh, so I think that's telling of the defense. Uh, that being said, um, age is catching up with him. He's got a lot of miles on that body. He's been on this, you know, in this system of the team since two thousand and two when he was drafted. I mean, it's 2019, you know, 17 years of eclipse in that time frame. And sure, he hasn't been up with the parent club all, all of those years, but he's still playing meaningful games, when he, whether when he was in the queue, whether when he was down in the AHL with Norfolk and then eventually with Rockford. You know, hell, he's been in the Hawks system long enough where he played with the Norfolk Admirals as the affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks in the AHL. That should tell you something about how long the guy's been around. He's put a lot of big, big heavy just seasons and playoff runs and minutes on that body. And 
concussions aren't anything to sneeze at. I mean, I, you know, I, I was fortunate enough in football to never have a confirmed concussion, thank God. But, you know, you, you ding your head up enough and it, it'll mess with you. It's, it's a real thing, especially at a position where everything you do is lightning fast reflexes. If any of your motor skills are slowed at all, that is going to play, you know, play into your ability to do your job. And I, I think, you know, is it time for him to hang it up? If his health is truly at uh, as a concern, like if they're like, "Well, oh, shit, you take one more good puck off the mask and your you know your brain scrambled eggs," then yeah, I think it is time for him to hang it up. But if he legitimately feels healthy and and they don't think that one you know errant puck to the the mask is gonna screw his life up, I think he got at least another at least that next year of that contract in him before. Maybe you really then play that game of, well, shit, do we re-sign him? If we do, is he coming back for less? Maybe a one-year deal, two-year deal? You know, I just it's it's a big question mark right now with this team. Here's my question on this, Ron. Do we trust the Blackhawks when it comes to brain injuries and even the NHL? You've seen what uh, what Carcillo has put out there, and um, especially coming after the Blackhawks organization on some of this, and, and even more so the NHL on concussion protocol and like you said i mean some of those i mean it's serious we have we don't take that lightly i think earlier this season when the hawks were really 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 bad um and they're getting back to that but um when they were really 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 bad and crawford was down we all talked about it and we said is there really any value in Corey crawford playing any more hockey and then the hawks go on this run and it's like oh Corey crawford's gonna come back and now we see what we get from Corey Crawford. It's not the same Corey Crawford that we had before. I'm not talking before as in earlier this year. I'm talking before going back to like 2015. My theory on this is that Corey Crawford is, like you said, looking for that next contract. He's got next year and then he's going to be an RFA. Is he looking for that next deal just to make that kind of money? just because he wants the money out of this or is it a are the Blackhawks pushing him to play here because they want to get into the playoffs I don't know what the what the end game is here it's very confusing to me especially looking at this he's taken two major concussions over the past two years that have led him to a lot of missed time and he doesn't look the same yeah. Delia showed that he can play at the NHL level. I know he struggled on his way out of here when he got demoted. But is it time to hand the reins over to somebody else here and cut ties with Corey Crawford, maybe put him in the backup role for next year and kind of convince this guy, hey, look, we appreciate what you've done. You are only doing yourself more damage if you continue to put yourself out there on the ice. I know it's hard to say that to somebody, who's you know made their living off of tending goal in the nhl but i just at this point ron from what i've seen from crawford regardless of the defense in front of him an 897 save percentage with almost three and a half goals per game is not good ron it's it's not good that's not starting goalie in the nhl level it's it's uh it's worse than a lot of backups. So yes. 
I mean, do you want to go into next year with Corey Crawford as your starting goalie with these kind of numbers? Or are you really going to say, hey, this is the defense's fault? Because I don't know. It's got to be a combination of both. I agree. I think it does have to be a combination of both. I don't think you can solely blame it on one or the other. Um, He's getting older. I mean, you know, he is, what, 33, 34? Or is at least going to be 34, I think? I mean, he's up there in age. He's he's logged, again, a lot of hard minutes. And, and as you've mentioned, two significant concussions will really do, you know, a good number on, on your ability to you know, play the position. Um, I think it's definitely at least worth exploring kind of what you mentioned, you know. And maybe, maybe next year, even if you still don't want him to truly be the backup, you know what I mean? Maybe you do think back to the first Stanley Cup run. Cristobal Huey and Anthony Eme almost identically split time during the season. I think they played 42 and 40 games respectively. Maybe you see something like that with Colin Dealey and Corey Crawford next year where, you know, they give, you know, each of them about 40 games. And, you know, as long as Crow is performing, maybe that's where they say, ah, you know, Colin, we're happy for you. You're performing. You know, Crow, you weren't performing all that well. Maybe you need the extra rest. We're going to have you play maybe closer to 35 games instead of the 40. You never know. I think they're at least, at minimum, going to let him ride out the last year of that deal just from the standpoint of he doesn't have a ton of value right now just because of the injury history. And when he hasn't been back, back, he hasn't been lighting the world on fire. Yeah, I I think think from a, a trade perspective, I think that ship may have sailed. I would I would argue. Maybe next year he comes in, starts playing semi-well, plays okay. Maybe a team that's really contending says, hey, listen, if you're willing to eat $2 million on that contract closer to the deadline, so by that time prorated, let's say, a million bucks, so they can fit him under their cap for like a cup run, and he wants that, and they're like, yeah, if you even eat the little money, maybe instead of like a fourth or a third round pick, we'll give you like a second or a third round pick. Wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Because then I would Let's even Let's not argue go he... start down this aisle, Ron, of fucking <laughs> saying that the Hawks are going to be terrible next year. I, I can't even do this right now. Um, I, I would argue even even if even if they're they're not terrible, but if they're not in a Stanley Cup position and he has the ability to do something like that, maybe. I, there's, there's so many, I would argue, right now, if we're talking just one player, like one true player on the team, based on the last two years, who is a question mark. Because we know guys like Seabrook and Keith are, are slowly not themselves anymore. That's just age and, and, and hard miles catching up to them. You know, the defense as a whole group needs improvement. You know, and the guys in the forward group, uh, you know, they're the bottom six as a whole needs to be addressed. Corey Crawford is the one player as a one individual who truly is a question mark. Because I don't think we've seen enough of him over the last two years to really judge how well he can play because of these concussions. And to your point, you know, how much of that terrible stat line that you, you know, read off for us a little, little, you know, few minutes ago, how much of that could potentially be related to post-concussion symptoms? If, if any at all, how much, yeah, we don't know. Yeah. How much of that is confidence because he's afraid of taking a hit. I can't tell you how many guys get dinged in the head and then they're afraid to get hit. We and saw it, that. I think. I think. I mentioned this. I think 
Brandon Saad was a little bit affected by that earlier this year. Yeah, kind of that little like almost skittish nature. Yeah. Like, eh, eh, like don't 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 hit me, don't touch me. I don't want to be hit. It, that's real. I mean, it, psycho- psychology in sports is very real. And it, you have to really sit here and question how much of that is, it relates to Corey Crawford right now because he is truly, in my opinion, the biggest question mark on this team who more likely than not is still with the team you know, at this point next year or at least at the beginning of the season next year. I agree that – he will probably be here through the end of his deal, Ron. Um, with that said, guys, we're going to break for an ad read real quick. Uh, we're going to come back. We're going to wrap this up with some news, updates, take a look at what the playoff picture looks like, and go with the uh, the little bit of our predictions for the week ahead. This is Four Feathers Podcast, episode 23. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Four Feathers Podcast, episode 23. Tony Marchese here with Ron Luce. Uh, Johnny, uh, like we mentioned earlier, he's on vacation. He's down in Arizona taking in some spring training baseball. Patrick Comiskey is a little bit under the weather, and Tyler is training for a fight. So it's just Ron and I. I'm about to crack another beer right there. Crack them. Crack crack them on. And uh, we've got some news, updates, injury report, and we're going to take a look at the week ahead um, right here. So let's get right into some of the news and updates. We touched on this a lot in the first segment. Drake Kajula out in concussion protocol. Not good for the Hawks. Um, I don't want to get back into all the Drake Kajula talk because I can repeat myself, and I'm sure Ron could too. Um, The other one who is down right now, is still camp. He's out with that foot injury. Haven't really gotten many updates on what's going on with him, but uh, I don't think we really miss him, Ron. Do you, do you miss camp at all at this point? Um, see, it's very peculiar because he actually was finally starting to play fairly well when when he, uh, just before that foot injury, um, a little foreshadowing, I think, for next season. It, more likely than not, Camp is going to be the fourth line center next year. I think if he can return to his first year form in the faceoff dot, he fits that profile very well. Uh, he was about a fifty-three percent guy. Maybe take uh, a Nisimov spot there in the uh, oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I would argue even Kruger's spot. I think you know Kruger at what is he making? Even with the retained salary from Arizona and Carolina combined, he's still getting like two seven five this year. If you can have David Camp at what nine hundred k nine hundred twenty five k next year, you know that cap savings is a hundred percent worth it. Yeah, two seven five. Yeah, and and he otherwise would be a three million dollar deal because there's money being held uh, by other teams. So I, I, yeah, I I think they do miss. If nothing else, they miss the depth. You know, he's just another option to have, uh, especially at center because yeah, center, center is depth. such a hard position. Yeah, exactly. Center depth you can never have enough of. And, uh, you know, Anisimov doesn't get it done in the dot. Uh, Kruger's been yeah, – he's been okay. I mean, he hasn't been great. He hasn't been awful. I mean, he's been, he's, he's been there. Um, and obviously, you know, Dylan Strom's been a very pleasant surprise uh, as the two-line center this year. So, nonetheless, I think they missed the depth. I don't think you can ever have enough center depth in the NHL. At worst, you play a guy that's at center at wing because they can easily make that transition. So, um, But in the grand scheme of things – they would miss 
uh, certainly like a Drake Ajula, as we've already discussed very heavily, uh, more so than a guy like a David Camp. I agree, and I think I brought that up on the last episode as well, was the fact that uh, for years, um, Hawks fans were always complaining about the center depth almost more than we were about the defensive depth. So, um, yeah, you know, you can't have enough good centers. Uh, let's roll into the playoff picture. Playoffs. Yep, the playoffs. Um, right now, not looking good for the Blackhawks. Um, I think some of the dreams and hopes that we were talking about over the last few episodes are, are kind of almost gone. Uh, Dallas right now sits in the first wild card spot. Uh, they are sitting at 71 points. They are tied with Minnesota, actually, who's sitting in the number two spot, also at 71 points. And then ahead of the Hawks, you also have Arizona at 69, Colorado at 68. Edmonton, um, the dumpster fire that is Edmonton, is also ahead of the Blackhawks with 65. And we are tied with Vancouver down in the 6-7 spot with 63 Sitting behind them, Anaheim and Los Angeles, uh, two of the teams that the Hawks played this week. Again, we talked about how they lost to Los Angeles, the last place in the Western Division a little bit earlier in the show. Um, Ron, I think that uh, it's almost time to say that the uh, the playoffs are no longer a thing for the Blackhawks in the 2019 season. Um We'll do a little bit of a roundtable next week, I think, when we get everybody back on, but uh, not good. No, not good at all. I think the title of this episode could very well easily be Not Good, Bob, because uh, I've been tempted to say that about 15 times throughout the episode because, um, yeah, it does not look good right now. I, I also have the standings up in front of me, and, yeah, I mean, but... Uh, it was really hard. I mean, I know there, you know, there was at least the hope of the playoffs, right? It was exciting. Uh, it was, you know, fun to watch when they were winning, and but you, it really was just hard because of that freaking terrible defense. You had to sit there and be like, ah, even if this team makes it to the playoffs, the they run into one okay, you know, team in terms of forward depth, and it's game over. You run into a Winnipeg in the first round, ugh. Like, it's not even fun to watch. And I think at least – here's what I at least think. I think here's the silver lining. And I think think we could use a silver lining right about now. Is that, yes, we know the defense is poor. We know the defense is poor. There's good pieces, but we know the defense is poor. But with them going on that little win streak that they had, and some of these guys, especially in the forward group, playing the way they did play – I think it's very, very encouraging going into next season because you see the Strom to Brinkett combination. Hell, you arguably just found your number two center of the future in Dylan Strom. The last time the Hawks had a, in my opinion, what was a true number two center that was more than a one-year stopgap, see Michael Hanzus and Brad Richards, Robert Lang. Are we talking like Patrick Kane rookie year? Ooh. Maybe Dave Boland? Maybe Dave Bowen. Like it's been a hot minute since they've had a true number two center that they could say, yes, he is our number two center for years and years and years to come, and he's not just a stopgap. So, you know, there are a lot of silver linings to the season, especially with that forward group. They've found a lot of pieces 
via some of these trades that I think are going to make an impact going forward. But at least we knew. I would. I don't. I, and here's and here's a little bit of a negative Nelly coming out of me. I would at least rather them miss the playoffs and break my heart in that fashion than go to the first round of the playoffs with any kind of like, ooh, maybe, and they just get absolutely shit on by like Winnipeg or Nashville or somebody of that nature. So, here comes your first firing in a long time, Ron. <laughs> yeah, fired. I, I just like. My big thing right now is hoping now that the draft lottery falls a little bit in our favor. I don't think they're getting Jack Hughes. I don't think they're getting Capo Caco. I think that eight-game win streak all but nullified that. But there are some really good players in the top of this draft. A lot of very good forwards, which is ironic because they need defense. The difference being, it's a lot easier to develop a forward into an NHL talent than it is a defenseman into an NHL talent. D-men take a lot longer. So, you know, let's say they get, I think, a, a Turcotte, for example, the name I've heard thrown around a lot. He's a center. You find a potential another center for the future, a guy that can potentially play a win two down the road. But you add another piece into there, and you hope another year of development for guys like Boakvist and Yoki Haru and maybe Mitchell and who knows about Bodine. You know, and maybe they find... Somebody okay with a trade partner, for example, with a team that's available, a quality defenseman who's young and cost-effective. And sure, it might mean giving up some assets for the future, but it's something worth certainly exploring. At least you're building towards something good, hopefully, ideally. And Well, it's not developed for bad, Ron. Well, sure, but you're hoping developed for good in terms of guys panning out. Because, right. you know, you can develop all these guys, and if they don't turn to shit, then you just wasted a bunch of time trying to develop them. I'm hoping that, if nothing else, this is a wake-up call to the front office to just say, listen, guys, you clearly still needed to keep doing work. And you know what? Trade deadline was a good example of that. They didn't get stupid. They didn't try and mortgage the future for a maybe of a rental. And I'm, I'm actually slightly pleased by that because now – they said, okay, we have our assets, we have our young guys that we have hope for in the future. Now let's go back to the drawing board and try and use another offseason to improve this team for longevity. Because I think moves like the Dylan Strome move, the Drake Kajula move, getting rid of a contract like Brandon Manning, if they can dump a contract like an Artem Anisimov, those type of moves are setting them up for long-term success. And you know, as much as I would love to see them go, hey, we made it to the second round of the playoffs, but we're going to suck for the next 10 years? I would rather them maybe suck for two more years, but then have another four-year window, perhaps, of at least being a competitive team and giving us hope again for another you know cup before Kane and Taves probably hang the skates up. I I echo that in a, in a few different ways, but for, for sake of uh, long longevity of, uh, of Kane and Taves, I think that they need to push the needle a little bit quicker than the, than later. Um, yeah. It, it just seems to me like they're they're punting on some of the best years of, of Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves. Um, although it, it, I think that like, uh, like you kind of mentioned, the, the defense takes a little bit longer to evolve. Um, you would have wished that there was somebody that they had in the pipeline to kind of take the reins from Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook about now rather than two or three years down the road. Yeah. Um, 
you can argue that some of those guys were maybe given up in trades, but I don't think that they really had anybody um, in the pipeline. I think even Ronda, yeah. if you look out in the NHL, maybe Nick Letty is the only other guy out there that, that was really given up in anything that would have been worth something to the squad at this point in time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at this point it is what it is. You just got to hope that uh, Yoki Haru, Baquist, and, and – uh, Ian Mitchell, some of these other names that you that you hear out there will will develop into the next decor. Um, let's go ahead and take a look at the week ahead before we close this out. Thursday versus Buffalo, we're back at home. Um, Seven thirty start. Then you've got Saturday versus Dallas and Monday versus Arizona. Ron, what are your predictions for the next three games that the Blackhawks play? Oof, that's a good question. I mean, here, here's the thing is, is Buffalo, Buffalo's been on a slide. I mean, this was one of the, the hottest teams out the gate in the NHL. Uh, Jeff Skinner having a, an absolute bounce back of a year. Uh, him and Eichel, without a doubt, have chemistry. And Eichel's really come out of his shell, I think, this year. I think it was the number change, you know, that 15 to 9 has, has seemed to help him a little bit, maybe just from a, a stitious standpoint. Um that Dallas game again. I mean, we saw what happened what a week and a half ago when they played the Stars. Um, didn't go well in the Hawks' favor. So I'm a little nervous about Saturday. I think Thursday is a very winnable game, especially at home and with a, a struggling Buffalo Sabres team. I actually think they're currently losing as we, uh, excuse me, as we record this to uh, the Edmonton Oilers. Um, but Monday, that game is actually going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'm actually very excited about Monday's game. Arizona's been playing a lot better of late, but they have a lot of injuries, a lot of injuries. I would argue Arizona is in a playoff picture right now if they don't have half the injuries that they've had this season. You know, Nick Schmaltz going down, he was playing fantastic ever since he got traded to Arizona. Um, you know, they've, they're have they missing right now Derek Stepan, who's now out with an injury, and he's been one of their better forwards all season. So, you know, obviously, you know, guys like Nicholas Chalmerson has missed some time, and and some other key guys on that back end. Auntie Ranta's missed time, and he's arguably one of the better goaltenders in the NHL right now when healthy. So, I'm intrigued by that, that game. Hurts. I think <laughs> it does hurt. Yeah, it's funny. It's always funny how you know you watch these these Hawks goalies come and go over the last 20 years, and you see where they go, and you're just like, huh. I remember when that guy was a hawk. <laughs> it's like I remember when he he I was, was a big Auntie Ranta guy. I liked it. I was a big I was a big Ranta fan as well. I enjoyed watching him play. Um, I don't think I ever knew he. I ever. I don't know if I ever knew he was going to be this good. Um, but I thought. I thought. I th- you know. I thought he had at least a, a future as a, a full time backup on a good team. I think he could. He could absolutely be a guy that can play thirty to forty games for you and give you you know twenty wins as a, as a backup. This was prior to four feathers podcast and any type of analysis that I did with the Blackhawks, but my wife can actually verify this one. Um, my call on Ronta was he should have been the successor to Corey Crawford. He would lead the Hawks to a cup. And when he, mm. when, when he was no longer a Blackhawk, that was a rough day for me. I was a big, big Ronta guy. Before he even made it into the NHL with the Hawks, as soon as he became a Blackhawk, um, I did a lot of research on Auntie Ranta, and I was a huge Ranta guy. I, I let's put it this way: my wife does not watch the Blackhawks the way that any of us do. And when Ranta became a Blackhawk, the first thing I said to her was, "This is the Blackhawks goalie of the future." 
And that meant like I, I sold her on this is the guy that we need to be like a huge fan of. And we were all sad when Ronto was no longer a Blackhawk. Let's just put it that way. Um, so seeing him succeed for me is not a surprise. Um, you know, when Scott Darling came in and Auntie Ronta kind of got the, the, the door per se, um, I was almost a little bit disappointed because I, I really liked Ronta's game. Um, I'm really happy with what he's done in his career so far, and I, I wish that guy none, none of the best, nothing but the best, except for the fact that he came out. And I think there's some weird statements that he made when he left here about how he did not like the way that uh, the organization kind of just showed him the door. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, but you know, still a Ronta fan, I guess, is is what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree. I, I mean, I, I completely understood his kind of, well, we can call it bitterness with the team, I guess, just because it, it was kind of an, a unique situation. He was I think he wanted well. to be here. He wanted to yeah. be here. He was playing well. I mean, he, he wasn't playing bad. It's not like they brought him in and he absolutely shit the bed. They're like, no, you're gone, but he was like, what the fuck? He was like, no, I've, I've, I've been playing well. When you've given me the chance to play well, like I can... I can be a goalie. It's not for his your fault that he was here in, in years that Corey Crawford was the, one of the better goalies right. in the NHL. Right. Corey was still at the, the peak of his time. Darling was playing unbelievable hockey at the time. And it was a nice problem for them to have. They had three very competent goaltenders. Hell, you know, in that 2015 season when Corey missed some significant time, like between December and January, that, that was Ronta. Ronta. Yeah, that Darling Ronta combination really helped the team. They were still playing incredibly well uh, during that time. So um, it's always fun when Arizona comes back and plays. It's kind of like when they play the Carolina Hurricanes. It's like that's Chicago West, <laughs> and there's so many former Hawks out there. You know, Vinny's had a really nice year for them. You know, isn't lighting the world on fire, but having a nice year. Uh, Dick Panic has had an, I mean, an okay year. Like I said, Schmaltzy was killing it before. Obviously, you know his season ended with an, an injury. Um, obviously, Jammers out there, Ronta's out there. Uh, the list goes on and on of former Blackhawks that currently play out in the desert. So, um, if we're picking a favorite game that we're looking forward to the most, I'm actually looking forward to most to Monday's game uh, for that aforementioned reason. All right. So, real quick, quick hit here: Buffalo, Dallas, Arizona. Six points on the table. How many do the Hawks grab? Three. Three. Oh, you're picking an overtime loss in here somewhere. Picking an overtime loss. I'm picking an overtime loss to the Coyotes. All right. That's a that's a good way to specify it. All right. Uh, I'm going to go and run that down. I think they get four out of six here. Um, and as weird as this sounds, I'm going to say that those four out of six come versus Buffalo and Dallas. Um, they're going to lose to Arizona. And the reason I say that is because Patrick Kane always plays Buffalo very, very well. Um, he knows he's got the hometown crowd watching him, whether it's home or away. Um, Kane will show up in Buffalo in the game against Buffalo. Uh, Dallas, they're going to squeak one out. Um, not sure how. I don't want to predict that, but I think they're going to squeak one out against Dallas. It's going to be, hey, look at this Hawks team. They're they're back again. And then they'll go into Arizona and lose against a team that they should absolutely beat. Uh, I'm going to go four out of six. Um, and and the, those are the games that I'm calling. Wins against Buffalo and Dallas Monday against Arizona. I expect this team to come out and shit the bed. That's just how I'm calling it. Trap game. 
Um, they always seem to just for some reason against Arizona not play the way that they should. Um, so that's what I'm going yes. with that. Um, that was really quick, but uh, we're going to try and wrap this up here. Ron, do you have any closing thoughts? Um, just a quick closing thought and follow up to what you just said. I think we're both in agreement about the Buffalo win uh, and then half in agreement about the Arizona game. Uh, obviously, I think they'll lose in the extra frame, not just in regulation. But uh, closing thoughts other than that, um, fun just kind of little you and I back and forth tonight. First time we gotten to do this. And um, like I said, kind of that little OG feel here a little bit. But um, no, it's still still fun to watch Blackhawks hockey, even though they're losing uh, a lot of really hopeful pieces for the future. Um, every game I watch, I'm become more and more of a Dylan Strome fan, and and I kind of chuckle. Uh, actually, a little spit and checklist shout out today to Paul Bizonet, who has brought up yet again about Dylan Strome and just how like some teams are really giving up on some of these young guys kind of early. He's only 22. Uh, 46 points this season he only had six of those points when he was with the yotes for 20 games so he's a 40 point player in his short time now with the hawks um i think my closing thought is is i am very excited that dylan strome is hopefully a long-term piece of this blackhawks future because uh, i think he's found a home where he's comfortable and obviously playing with one of your best friends certainly doesn't hurt so um sir i'll turn it over to you to to take us home then all right, Ron. Uh, like I said, echo the uh, the pleasure here of just uh, getting to talk Blackhawks hockey with you for a little bit over an hour here. Um, I know we do this off air almost every day, but uh, good to do it on air. Uh, I've enjoyed this episode uh, a lot, and I do echo that uh, Dylan Strom love that you had just put out there on the airwaves. I think that we spent a lot of time talking about Drake Kajula, but we could have also spent a lot of time talking about Dylan Strom. And I want to get into a Dylan Strom episode and just kind of talk about what he's done in that second line center role. Hopefully we get the full crew back next week. But with that said, Ron, I think it's time to close this one down. Let's go Blackhawks. Let's go Hawks, baby. <laughs>